my friends and community members coming up and talking and like it, there was a big disconnect for me from what was happening in my life day to day and then what was happening in my life as an artist. Maybe the visual language is the only language, <laughs> right? And Or maybe it loses what it's about if I try to fucking talk about it. And there was like a thing where people were dying. We had a crazy summer with a rash of overdoses. A lot of people who I knew were the ones who had died. And it was just like, enough is enough. I'm going to use my, my reach and my voice as an artist to, to speak out against what is happening. I think, I think what, I did, what did happen was that I really accepted the parts of my life into the studio practice. And there was like kids in grade eight smoking cigarettes, like in the same place we smoked cigarettes in grade eight. And so there was a lot that hadn't changed in that sort of way. My buddy says this line, like I reserve the right to be wrong. This is downstream from what? Um, so I'm Ken Moffat. I'm the Jack Layton Chair at Toronto Metropolitan University. Uh, and I've been the chair for about three years uh, and have kind of taken it a swing towards cultural-based, arts-based, but also social activist work. Um in the context of social democracy. And I have asked to interview Alex Birk, who's a long-term friend and acquaintance. Alex? Thank you, Ken. Yeah. My name is Alex Birk, and you can call me Al. You know, I do wear a lot of different hats. Um, I'm an artist. I'm a father. I've been getting more and more politically involved in my community, and that has come from taking on in the best ways that I can this this role of an advocate that um, really seemed like something that, that was necessary for me and, and also like manageable um, living like in the place that I grew up, which was a smaller place than Toronto. Um, I, don't, I don't, I always like struggle with like how, how I describe myself, but yeah, mm -hmm. I'm an artist and I guess like, and I'm also an addict in recovery. And um, years ago when our, a lot of our friends were dying and people that I I knew they were, had grown up with or who had sat across me in the studio or friends of friends like had, had just been dying at this like crazy rate from overdoses. Um, we made a list in my studio and it was like over 30 people. And there was all this stuff happening in my studio from my friends and community members coming up and talking and like it, there was a big disconnect for me from what was happening in my life day to day and then what was happening in my life as an artist like the pictures I was making and the sort of events and and things in the art world that I had to become that I had to be a part of as an artist it felt disconnected so I made a decision to be more political like within my work and also just bring some of the stuff the day-to-day -day stuff that happened in the studio that wasn't painting, um, I started to use it more and more to fuel the work, even if the, it was just only in subtle ways. What would be the timing of that? Like, how long ago was that? Ugh, I'm, I'm bad with dates and stuff yeah. like that. Um, 
just I'll say that like when I knew you in Toronto and I was yeah. a painter here and and stuff I think my goal was about you know trying to live and survive and trying yeah. to carve a place for myself in this art world um trying to carve a place for myself to be able to do this full time and survive and that was sort of where my focus was yeah. um and then having sort of achieved or like worked towards that a bit um and and moving back home like I started to just really foster and like fall into like all of the things that fuel what I want to make work about or like parts of my life that aren't painting or like picture making or watercolor that are equally as importantly a part of my practice, if that makes sense. And yeah, like, totally. so the, the, the sort of like, um, the decision to like actually do that, I think was in 2018 Yeah, where I just, and there was like a thing where people were dying. We had a crazy summer with a rash of overdoses. A lot of people who I knew were the ones who had died and it was just like enough is enough. I'm going to use my, my reach and my voice as an artist to, to speak out against what is happening, to be an activist, to try to enact change in my community. Um, I was also a part of a panel of people with lived experience. And as part of that, we got paid to take like a politics class and I'm not, I didn't graduate high school. So like everything that I've learned has been new and exciting and has not been like, I'm, I'm constantly learning, you know, and the politics class was done by these really great people. And one of them, Alicia just said to me, she says, if you want to be an activist, just pick some or if you want to get involved politically in your community, pick an issue that's meaningful to you and just dive headfirst into that. And so for me, as someone who was in recovery, it was like it was like using everything I had to fight and push for change for the against the overdoses that we were seeing in our community and the absolute lack of action um, from people that were in positions of power, from people that were getting paid to make this their daily work to combat um all of the issues tied to what those overdoses represent, you know? I remember those images. Like, I remember you were painting pills and pill yeah. bottles. Yeah. And that, um, I had already noted your work just for the so technically exquisite, if I might. But then when I started seeing this type of content in your work, it really impressed me that you were really using your artistic abilities uh, to comment on this. So what do you think are some of those issues you were, you're trying to make visible around harm reduction? There is a part of me and there's a part of the people that believe the same as me that is just screaming for a response. You know, like we're all people that are in our own lives are just like treading water just to make, make our lives like just to survive Mm -hmm. and um and like so many people are falling through the cracks uh and there's like so many resources available that are seemingly like from my side of the street seem to be like really mismanaged yeah um there seems to be a lot of support provincially and federally but then by the time like what does that support look like actually for people that need it you know, right. and this didn't come from me like intellectualizing these problems. Right. These experiences came from me like trying to walk someone through what it looked like to go to detox, right? right? Trying to walk someone through what it looks like multiple times to go to rehab, um, or to get help for like the su the substances that they were on, 
or to like switch from one drug to like a safer drug because the drugs that they were doing were killing them or like causing them to overdose and die and go to the hospital and be revived or whatever. Right. right? And so like I experienced these problems firsthand. Yeah. My friend, for instance, that I knew in high school, he was like the, the linebacker of the football team. And like, we were really close. And when I connected back with him after moving back, he had like overdosed, like not just like overdosed out, he had like died and been revived like seven times wow. in the last month. And the, when I connected with him and, and like he was being brought to the hospital, not knowing whether he was going to make it and he was being revived and he was being cut loose within 15 minutes of, of being sent there in withdrawal and bringing into this, my personal experience, trying to navigate the systems that we had in place and just feeling a continuation of like how fractured they are and how hard it is for people to access support, um, access like a safe way of using and living. And uh, There's the practice of um, harm reduction in a way, like how to walk through yeah. uh, gaining what you need or getting what you need, right? Yeah. Um, and how do you think it's tied to the attitude to drug users? Like, how is that, do you think, fracturing the system or affecting it? Well, I think, like, there's... It's funny, because I'm in this place, this great... In my community, community um, not only was I raised in a place of privilege, but I, I am in a place of privilege, and I have a platform where... It, um, people could maybe take me more seriously than uh, if I was like the version of myself who was like in, in desperation in my life, like heavily addicted to drugs and like not doing well. And um, so I think there's this, like there's still this attitude that like people that are struggling and using are choosing that way of life and that it's like a moral failing yeah. on their part that they use drugs or that I use drugs. It was like a moral failing, you know, and that if only I had the right job or situation or like, I just need to work harder and all this stuff. And it's mm -hmm. like, it's really not about that. Right. right. And in a small town too, in a place that's like more intimate and where people are like connected, I think an attitude that's like a barrier is this need to want to hide any harm to want to hide anything that's bad or problematic or could be or th not that drug using is bad, but like things that could be perceived bad by others, you know, there's just a huge stigma around it. Mm -hmm. Right. And a, a big fight is just breaking down that stigma. So it occurs to me, like you painted through this in a way, like you used your, abilities as a painter to uh, make present uh, this issue and these people is does that ring true yeah I mean I haven't really done that like there's a lot of people that do a lot and they don't talk about it on podcasts or like like I feel like I feel like a little bit uncomfortable talking about what I do because like mm -hmm. I just I don't I don't know I don't know if that makes sense. I think I think what I did what did happen was that I really accepted the parts of my life into mm -hmm. the studio practice. Okay. In a way that was like less separate and compartmentalized yeah, yeah. than before. 
Yeah. Um, so, you know, I would have like, and my painting station, I would also have this like table and chairs and people from the street or people from my friends in recovery or, or people that like the, even the mailman could come in and we would just talk and like all of that stuff would fuel the art. Maybe not so much in like a straightforward forward way, but yeah. um, that sense of, of being a part of the downtown community yeah, um, was like, was there because partially because it's like pretty lonesome to be, an artist in Peterborough. Like I'm the, I'm one of the only people in our building that's like there every day painting full time and stuff. And so part of it, it wasn't like this, like altruistic way of me, like wanting to give back. I mean, there was like, I wanted to help others, but also it was this way of like, um, catering to my, the way my brain works and Uh like, and like keeping some, like, cause the way that I paint is so labor intensive and structured, you know? So like a lot of these happenings at the studio, um, like talking about things, talking about activism, getting people in, like a lot of this was like so drastically, so drastically different from that, the, like the tedious way in which I work. It was almost like a little breath and break uh-huh. from that too. You were in Toronto, right? You were living in Toronto and you moved back to Peterborough. Is that correct? Yeah. So I moved to Toronto in 2002 or 2001 uh-huh. from Peterborough. I think I was like 19 or 20. Yes. And I moved just over here to St. Clarence and Bloor. Okay. And then I stayed in Toronto um, until 2014. Okay. And my wife and I, we had just had our first son. Yes. And um, yeah, we needed, I love Toronto. Like my experience here was amazing. I felt anonymous in the city in a way that I hadn't experienced. And I felt a sense of community that was like that, that I felt happened in a, in a natural way, Yes, you know, from, from moving here. And I felt a sense of like understanding the city for myself. That was cool. Um, and I probably would have stayed if I could, but we just couldn't afford to buy a house and the stars sort of lined up in this way where we had the opportunity to do that. Yeah. I had a show that sold out and I got some grants um, that year. And, yeah. but we just couldn't afford to buy right. in Toronto. So we moved, we found a house in Peterborough and we just kind of made the jump yeah. without really thinking too much about it. Like we were just new, new parents and like in the fog of all that. And just, we knew we needed to make it happen. Um, and it just sort of happened that way. And so like we talked about, there was this like crazy experience of like finding myself back in the place where I, I had grown up and like all that comes along with that you know? Right. That, uh, and I think that's part of what I was trying to get at. You talked to me before about how you went back to this place that had trouble in a way, right? Um, possibility, but trouble. And then you went back, but you were different and relationships were redefined. Yeah. Am I summarizing correctly what you said? And it kind of put you in a new situation relative to Peterborough. Yeah. I mean, there's this very visceral way to like experience a place that you know so well. Yeah. Like, I mean, everything changes, but, um, I hadn't been back for a long time and I had left in a not so great part of my life. And I had left out of loss, like out of losing both my parents mm-hmm. and, um, where I had grown up had, had been sort of like this, like, tomb of of memory of growing up and like having to like maybe not by choice open back up into that not in like a overly 
sentimental way, but just in like an everyday way, um, was just a process of like redefining, re recompartmentalizing those memories in a different way Yeah, in my life. And yeah. like also feeling my own mortality and, and feeling like my connection to who I was when I was growing up and how that had changed and how it hadn't changed and what that looked like for my kids to grow up in the same spot. There's this guy, this real, this kind of hard tongue guy described it in a way that was kind of vulgar, but he was just like, cause I was talk, I talked to everyone about this sort of thing. Right. Especially yeah. when I moved back and um, I was telling him how I felt and he was like, Al, you know what? Here's the thing. He's like, Susie Q, you know, she does something with Johnny under the bleachers in high school and she goes on to win the Nobel peace, peace prize in her life. You know, whenever she comes back to her hometown, she's Susie Q from under the bleachers, right? Not the, the Nobel prize winning, whatever. Right. right. And yeah. So I, and, and it, using that analogy, like I had to confront the person and the context of my life when I left. And also like I placed that on other people too. Right. Right. You know, I would see people and I would remember them from their wild years, or I would remember them as I knew them, you know, and I would witness the same patterns of things like there's still, I, I ran down this track yesterday under an overpass and there was like kids in grade eight smoking cigarettes, like in the same place we smoked cigarettes right. in grade eight. And so there was a lot that hadn't changed in that sort of way. Uh -huh. And it's just like, it's just, it's just like, I guess, interesting to it, to re-experience those things from a different place. And, the, and this, that's how the photography looks, right? Uh -huh. Too, it's not that, it's not that, oh, I'm like trying to capture this like childhood memory of these kids smoking as much as it's like, I'm out for my run at the end of a work day. And like, I'm hit by this scene that's familiar because I've lived that scene right. and I just pop off and I snap it. And then, uh -huh. you know, the process of me painting and editing the image and stuff is a very long process for me to like think about that very quick moment. So all this, as I said, I've been following you through your imagery, through social media, um, and all this has kind of led you, well, I shouldn't be so linear, but you've also engaged in a a politics, a local politics. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how you got involved in political uh, activities? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to acknowledge that I don't really know, know what I'm doing. Like, I very much a part of my character is just like going, like flying by the seat of my pants and stuff. And, um, but yeah, I think, you know, I think the turning point was the, the overdoses we saw with the, with the deadly toxic drug supply in our community. And which was like this, um, evolution of the same drugs I was doing Oxycontin uh, which was one of the main drugs I was I had a really tough time with. And um, the government stepped in and changed the form formula of that so that you couldn't shoot it. Uh, they, they messed with the time release. And then um, our community started to more so be addicted to heroin. And then that in, in, in 2006, and then that turned into fentanyl and carfentanil and all the crazy just mix of toxic stuff that's out today. Um, and so I was really moved by living in a place, losing friends and, and people 
um, where like I should have been lost to that, you know, mm-hmm. and my path would have been um, to be doing the same drugs that were, were killing people if I hadn't um, gotten out of it the way that I did. And part of how I stay in my life healthy is like through intensive work with other addicts in my community. Um, I do it because it helps me mm-hmm. and um, I feel like I can be impactful and that doing that kind of work, um, even just if it's like talking to people that are struggling with substances, um, that sort of led me down this path to become more active in the community. I sat on a panel of people with lived experience and all of these roads to push for change, like the only answer for actual change seemed to be political. And I saw what happened in our community when the provincial government changed. I saw really good things that um, the rug got pulled out from under them. Yeah, and I just, I think as a community member, you know, my art, my, I live downtown, I work downtown. And um, it was just one of those ideas I had always just toyed with. Like, yeah. maybe I should just do this. Maybe I should just do this. And I just decided to do it. And, and, and you're running for municipal So I'm politics. running. I'm running to be a councillor for Town Ward, yes. which there's two seats for. Uh-huh. So I would be representing my downtown community yeah. on the issues that matter to us. Uh-huh. And um, I have the energy to do it. Yeah. The way that I work in my studio is set up that it, it's conducive to being, you know, I can paint and talk on the phone, but like also I just have the energy to like, fight this stuff with all my heart, yeah. you know? And I feel that we need, we're, our community is facing some real tough issues that aren't getting better. And we need people in positions of power that are willing to totally think outside of the box, totally look at reforming the systems in place that are just so not working. Yeah, And like, I'll do that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I know it's going to be crazy and frustrating and hard and it's not going to be easy to get change done, but, um, I'm willing to give it a shot, you know? And what are some of those tough issues? Well, I think there's just like this huge divide in our community between um, like the upper middle class and the class that's really struggling to survive. Mm-hmm. That that divide is getting greater. Um, the downtown community is really st- struggling, like business owners, um, to stay open through all the COVID stuff that has had them shut down. Um, we have just a crazy, crazy only getting worse overdose crisis. I don't mean they change what you want to call it. I call it the overdose crisis, but Mm -hmm. it's really a toxic drug supply. Mm -hmm. But we have a whole, we have just like one of the highest per capita um, overdose rates in the province. And we have a huge population of people living on the street that feel unsafe in shelters. I don't see the people in charge having a real knowledge of the, reality of the situation because for me like the summertime could just be the idea of the summertime could be just as much about addiction as you know a poster for cam h with the guy with the hood over his head living on the street you know what i mean Uh and and so the way in which and the way in which the summertime is postured side by side with something very personal that I've written, yeah. postured side by side with um, 
a very moving color, <laughs> right? right? Or a very moving like relationship between two colors, right? That do something for me visually. Postured beside something differently, you know, or my family, an image of my family, right? right? These are the relationships that I'm interested in, not so much like the single relationship of the car. It's not about the fucking car, right? Right? I'm allowed to swear. Yeah, it's it's like about it's like about how this car, like how the image of the car, um, plays with the other images and how those how those the, the entirety of everything that I built holds the space, you know. So let me try something on you. I mean, I I with Does my that makes sense, Ken. Yeah, totally. Okay. No, I mean, I I love it. I I think like the combination of uh, image, color, space, poetics. Um, it's it's almost I, like I a mean, movie it's almost like a movie right yeah because it's like hard i really stumble where you're like what does the car mean what does the window mean and it's like <laughs> and it's like these aren't questions i ask myself because right. it's not just the window right yeah it's, it's the window of my house in the summertime sitting with my wife and my kids like it's it's everything and it's how it's juxtaposed next to this memory of my childhood or this like right. piece of my this actual physical piece of my growing up. Yeah. Right? I mean, I used to, well, I guess I still do talk about a poetics of social work because yeah. I always felt social work was burdened in its linear, uh, everything's linear like you have an objective and you need to reach it and everything's a box and you know that you have this addiction or you have that addiction and really it's in the fractures it's in the moments of broken relationships sometimes that more possibility comes um and i and, and it's interesting to me that you also though include color and light and and objects and found objects, you know, all in that story of poetics. So you've talked a number of times about um, you work from experience and uh, not necessarily from the intellect or intellectualizing. Why is that so important to you? Or what is that about that you're emphasizing that in this interview? I just think I'm self-taught. Yes. I'm not, I didn't graduate high, I didn't graduate high school. And so everything... I've learned has been from like being affected by something or triggered by or activated by something and then like kind of figuring it out, out as I go along. Yeah. Um, and this has happened in the way that I've sort of become an activist and active. I've become active in politics and also like within my art, right? Like I've yeah. become obsessed with, um, interested in a certain thing and I just sort of like dive into it and the intellectualization of it sort of happens afterward or like, along the way so i um it is my contention that intellectual work doesn't always come from thought first but does come from out of experience so i uh would challenge you to think sometimes you're being an intellectual uh, if not most of the time i mean that's part of what draws me to your work. how would you define like can you define that for me yeah i'll define it um uh but then let's see how you think yeah. about this. I mean, I think a lot of, and I'm also talking about my bias. Um, I do think a lot comes out of practice. I think a lot comes out of direct experience. I think a lot of wisdom comes there. That's where it comes. And then after the fact, as someone who tends to ruminate and reflect on things, I think a lot of my intellectual work 
came out of experience first. Yeah. Came almost like, what the, what's that? What is yeah. that? And it, do, it doesn't even mean necessarily, what is that bad socially? Yeah. It means that's absurd. This is bizarre. Yeah. Like, what is it? Well, how yeah. do we create concepts around this? How do we talk about it? Yeah. So I see that as intellectual work as yeah. well. So you talked about um, when it, when addressing harm reduction or um, uh, seeking assistance, um, there seems to be some mismanagement going on, um, or at the very least, there's a way that the delivery of service just isn't fitting the need. Can you elaborate that some more? I've been trying to be really positive about the roles that I straddle because I straddle this role of being someone with lived experience, but I also uh -huh. have become involved in local um, harm reduction agencies or like local uh, community support organizations. And I see that there's like a lot of people working there that are good people yes. and that are trying. And like a lot of, the, there's a lot of good things in our community that are happening that are coming to fruition. Yeah. Um, but I've always like been critical of, the response and I've yeah. been critical of it by someone who's like been through it myself yeah. and someone who is alongside people trying to get support. And even the barrier of like needing tech nowadays to access like a zoom meeting right. um, or needing, you know, needing it's like we offer help, but only within this like nine to five window. Right. And then we're yeah. going to go home for work. So if you need help after four thirty PM, like you have to wait until the next day. Right. And, um, so there's still like so many barriers that um that are there for people that need that are in in so desperate need of support yeah um and i think like part of my i want to just be i want to continue to put pressure on um all of those changes to happen you know we have a we have a safe consumption site now that has taken like a lot of work to happen and to get off the ground yes um but we know in 2018 i was part of a panel with people with lived experience that spoke to the people setting up the the um, the site and saying like, hey, you need a place for people for inhalation. You know, like a lot of people are smoking are smoking dope. Yeah. Have you thought about that? Oh no, we haven't. And like now that there's been a group of people that have done an unsanctioned uh, safe injection site for like yeah. a year now, uh -huh. and they've been taking really good data. They're just amazing people. Yeah, and they they in their data they have like 52 percent of the people using the harm reduction services and using the tent are smoking, right? right? So this info is out there. So it's uh, not even uh, addressing like so, a so what I'm form of consumption. So what I'm saying is that there's a disconnect between the reality of the situation yeah. that's actually happening in the culture of how people are using drugs in right. Peterborough. Right. And then the people, the executive directors of the agencies and service providers involved in um, rolling out these services to the community. What's the fear? You know, so of, I'm like, I'm like the guy ringing the bell yeah, and, and not shutting up about the things that we need to continue to work towards, you know, it's almost like there's a fear or, um, a fear of learning the culture of drug use. Do you know what I mean? I don't think it's that. I think it's that the system is just so difficult to get anything to happen. And we have, we have had a conservative provincial government that has really stalled things and been incredibly difficult to work with yeah. and to work alongside. And the understory behind a lot of these like closed door meetings has been really bad. Um, and we need to get organized. 
I think there's like a thing, an aspect to it where it's like, my buddy says this line, like I reserve the right to be wrong about things. And so like a lot of the learning that I do, like the example of like photographing someone without their consent, um, like by learning those things, like it really shifts my thinking and my experience, um, in this way that's like moving, but also in this way that I want to share with other people. Right. Like there's like, um, a curiosity to, that I have where I like learn something or I have a big shift in what I believe. Right. And, um, I really want to just pass that forward or like talk about it or be, um, have others like have the same react, like experience in a way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I mean, so, so you could, um, rather than have an ethics of intervention that it's all laid out and it's a signed sheet, you learn respect as you go along. Right. right? And you have the right to be wrong. Yeah. Um, and that's what I was kind of saying about, uh, intellectual work out of direct experience too. It's not only you have a right to be wrong, but you also have a kind of possibility that you just don't know. Yeah. Like you can't believe you saw that mm-hmm. just up on Bloor Street, right? <laughs> Which has definitely happened to me many, yeah. many times or on a night out on the city here. Yeah. You just don't know. And in terms of like separating how you're intellectualizing my experience to my actual experience, yeah. I work in a way where I paint like a nine to five job and I go right. into my studio and there's no one in my studio. Uh-huh. I open the windows and there's the in- engagement and activation with the downtown. Yes. So there's that would mean people walking by, people yelling up to me, people calling me, people honking at me. Um, so those experiences are happening. Yeah. But then also like there's long periods where I'm left alone painting. I paint using like a quarter inch grid on yeah. small work yes. in like a little row. And I paint squares and rows over and over like in this very small labor intensive way where it takes me like two months to finish, you know, a painting that's less than 12 by 16 inches. And so there's like a lot of time where I'm just like in my own head about things. Right. 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 And, and, and like circling around ideas and, and like finding things to be interested in. And in a way it's a very, very, I've seen that you've showed me that, um, that, um, practice that you do. And in a way it's very, very technical. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Very and I'm not precise. And you know, the grid technique, as it was taught to me, yeah, was this way of removing any meaning from the image, right? Like so that you're not painting someone's nose; you're painting a square that has value and tone and some oh, shapes happening, huh. right? So it's actually this way of removing yourself from what you think you're painting, right? And making every area as important as the next. Wow. You know, and so when I'm painting an image of a road or a car or a window or a street light or my son or my wife, um, I'm just, I'm not even, I'm a million miles away <laughs> from the image, right? Wow. Um, like it's already been set up and I just like, I go into work and I, and I, you know, I chop the wood and carry the water or whatever they say, right? Like right. I just do the work. about how life merges with art and and how I've been able to implement that into the work and like the flip side of that is that um the last years have been very chaotic and for everybody yeah um the sort of meditativeness and the steadiness of my 
the way that I work yeah. has shifted. It's become okay. it's become harder to focus. I've become more distracted. Right. Um, I've I've found that I've had less time to paint. Um, and I think part of it has been of my own making, <laughs> right? You know, um, because there's a lot going on, and I just feel both in my personal life, but in these other ways I've engaged with my community, like I feel pulled in a million different ways sometimes. And right. it's hard to focus back in on work sometimes. Yeah. In so ways- are there, are there moments when, uh, art, you talked about the confluence of art and life and art and the social, are there times when these th- things don't fit or your many hats are just separate? All the time. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think that it's funny because as soon as I say I'm going to do something, sometimes I have a tendency to like slowly veer away from that. And like, I talk about making the shift to use my voice and my reach as an artist to try to be political to try to be an activist for these issues that matter to me and that affect my community. And I feel like even as this interview is happening, uh-huh. um, there has been maybe this need to like separate now back from that. And like, it's just too much or something. And, right. and like maybe just make stuff that's not as heavy or maybe just make stuff that's like not um, hard, you know, like maybe it, the the burnout right drawing maybe the art is the thing now that like is i need in my life to draw me out of like the burnout of right doing this work which also which is this work that's done in my free time on my weekends not just me like everybody yeah who's who's all, all the all of the ways in which change the the wheels of motion of change fall on the backs of the members of the community right right instead of on the backs of the people that um sometimes are in power right I feel like I'm just loosening up, guys. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. I got three iced teas in me. I'm like, this is good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Following this summer interview with Alex, he went on in the fall to win his seat on Peterborough City Council. Downstream from what is a co-creation of myself, Ken Moffat, and Ben McCarthy. Art is by Autumn Vazari. Score is by Ben McCarthy. Funded by the Dean, Faculty of Community Services, the Dean, Faculty of Arts, and the Office of the President at Toronto Metropolitan University.